the only thing that's protecting you at a real level from a serious threat actor is that like you're not a interesting target, right? Like, not, not <laughs> yeah, yet. Not yeah. Yet. Hopefully, never. <laughs> career goals. Yeah, career goals. Want to have a target on your back? Catchbase Capella Database as a Service is flexible, full-featured, and fully managed with built-in access via key value SQL and full-text search. It's blazing fast, yet surprisingly affordable. Visit catchbase.com slash stackoverflow to try Capella today for free, no credit card required. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. I am your host, Ben Popper, joined as I often am by my wonderful co-hosts, Ryan and Siora. Hi, y'all. Hello. Hey, how Yin's doing today? How Yin's doing? Yous is pretty good. If you have suggestions for gender neutral or wonderfully regional. It's a second person Second plural. person plural. We're, we're accepting suggestions. Vos. Mm-hmm. So today I wanted to start off with something from the reader mailbag because we get these sometimes and I don't always remember. So a listener emailed to ask if we discuss a story from Krebs on Security, a very well-known and long-time source for serious security news. The headline reads, Trojan source bug threatens the security of all code, which sounds a bit alarmist. But yeah. Ryan, I, I saw you responded and said, holy crap, this is a wild bug. So mm-hmm. walk me through a little bit of what's happening here, and then we can discuss what it means. Okay. So I, I scanned through it, but basically the bug isn't in code itself. It's in Unicode. Mm. So they can put these Unicode basically substitution characters within comments. And unless every open source repository is checking comments pretty hard, it can slip something in that'll at compile time will turn into different code. So this this is a Unicode character you slip into the comments that at compile time transforms into something that is meaningful to the code. Control characters is what they're mm, called. Did the article ever mention that this bug was introduced into like, a real world project or product before and like kind of mess things up? I'm not sure, but it may be one of those like research bugs that somebody found. Like, I don't know if anybody has successfully implemented like row hammer uh, memory bugs or the ones where you listen to the computer to get the timing. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is they're like these very technically interesting and dangerous sounding bugs. And then in the end, what works for the people who commit cyber crimes is just like blunt force mass mail ransomware where they just send 10 million emails and get lucky 200 times like <laughs> it's just uh using existing bugs against unpatched computers is that's basically the big big problem i always get nervous about cybersecurity stuff because i think i've said this before but i'm not i try to be relatively safe with like tech things just like in general even when it comes to like building my own projects and things like that, being like, you want to make sure that your API keys aren't visible to the world, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's a whole world there that I'm missing out on. And if I knew more, I would probably be like, wow, it's a shock that no one has ever hacked me thus far. (laughs) This kind of stuff always makes me realize like there's so much I don't know in the cybersecurity space. Honestly, I don't really know where to start to learn more, but yeah. I always have this realization for articles like these that like bring things to my attention that I could never even imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that's protecting you at a real level from a serious threat actor is that like you're not a 
interesting target, right? Like, not, <laughs> not yet. yet. Not yeah. yet. Hopefully never. <laughs> career goals. Yeah, career goals. Want to have a target on your back. I just mean like if you become a corporation, you need a cybersecurity team. I'm sure if you're a very wealthy and famous individual, you have your sort of like own private mm-hmm. cybersecurity, like you have a bodyguard. You know, there's no way an ordinary person can keep up with all the evolution of flaws and vulnerabilities. But luckily, you don't have to think about it that often. You can sort of fall back on, you know, the companies that you're using, the platforms that you're using. You know, you make yeah. a good point, which is like as soon as you become a developer and you're working on independent projects solo projects and you're sharing them online, then you do have to worry about security for yourself and for your users. And so we've had a couple of interesting guests on the podcast. And I think this is an emerging sort of business, which is like security as a service, you know, like let some other company create this and they have an API or, you know, they have a set of integrations and they can basically, you can pay a small fee basically to keep your security, you know, patched and up to date. I think maybe one thing that I would like to learn more about in the future is like security, authentication, all that kind of stuff, because I don't have like a big project that has like users and things like that. I know tons of developers who do. Mm-hmm. And I would fear that if I have like an online store where you can make an account and you give us your card information and all that kind of stuff. I don't feel like I know enough about all that stuff yet to like be able to feel comfortable with people giving me that yeah. information. So if I ever decide to go that route, like so many other people, I would definitely have to do some yeah. more research. For I sure. definitely <laughs> think that's the area where microservices help. Like you build your project that has yeah. some new utility or some community around it. And then you use some, you know, Stripe for pay payments and they handle all the security and you just plug it in. Or or you have your own uh, security microservice if you're you're big enough. But I think, yeah, that's, that is a place where there is a lot of libraries out there, a lot of things just to handle the security for you. Yeah, yeah. And really like most of regular security is just, you know, having good firewalls and updating your system. Installing all the security patches. Always be patching. (laughs) Always be patching. Paul Ford had a story he liked to tell about this. He made like a joke on Twitter about anxiety box, which is like a little thing where you could put your anxieties in there and it would like remind you. And it's sort of like, you know, when you like write down something you'd want to forget and then you burn it. And sort of like, you know, you're like, you make it material, you make it an object, and then you can sort of like get some emotional distance from it. So he made this thing anxiety box and joked about how it was a good way to deal with that stuff and people could send him stuff and made it like open. And then he woke up the next morning and like 800 people had put, you know, their medical history and psychological problems into this Google spreadsheet. And now he's responsible, you know, in some way for protecting their privacy of this like very sensitive data. Right. He like really didn't want to do that. <laughs> he just learned about HIPAA Yeah, be real careful fast. when you open the door, you know, people will come come charging right in. I mean, people need a space for their, their secrets, yeah. right? Like there's um, a site that did that a while back. And, you know, that's basically what, Catholic confession is, right? You get to have your anxiety box. That's a literal anxiety box. This just made me think of this trend on TikTok. But some people, what they do is they'll have like a Google form where people will like send them like confessions. And what they do is they make a TikTok like reading people's confessions. Mm -hmm. And they, they have like tons of videos like where they just go through like some of the weirdest stuff that people have been like admitting to and it's it's kind of (laughs) weird i just thought about that just now though and like i never would have considered like yeah this is sensitive information that you probably shouldn't be sharing with a stranger on the internet but like you know you can't control what people do so (laughs) yeah and some people will send it from what's clearly you know an anonymous proton mail and some people will send it from like first name dot last name at yahoo and it's like you (laughs) really shouldn't do that (laughs) yeah well they're they're consenting to uh have it read and it's also uh depersonalized right it's just like here's my secret Not attached to me. The thing about GDPR is that though, like once you become like a controller of the information, 
you have a lot of responsibility. So if that person sent you the email from Europe and then later they asked to delete it or, you know, it gets shared in a way that they didn't want, you're legally responsible even if you oh. don't live in Europe and you have no idea where this person is from. Wow. So, uh, y'all TikTok users better... <laughs> Be careful. You know, get GDPR yeah. compliant. <laughs> GDPR compliant quick. All right. So I had a link here. It's the latest GitHub survey finds developers like automation, reusing code, and remote work, which, okay, duh. I kind of get all that. <laughs> right. But I did think there's some interesting stuff in here as it relates to Stack Overflow and Stack Overflow for Teams which is basically that, you know, this idea of having things which are pre-made and that you can borrow from, which is, you know, essentially what, you know, a library is, is incredibly useful and commonplace. We know people are copy pasting from Stack Overflow all the time. And that increasingly, Mm -hmm. this is something that teams are building into their DevOps pipelines, their workflows to make it easier, especially at scale for folks to work quickly and reliably. I guess I'd put it out to the two of you. In what ways do you find, you know, automation or code reuse becoming part of the way, you know, you do work? Or, you know, do you think this has always been the case? We're saying this is modern, but really this is just the way it always has been. I mean, I think a lot of the automation code reuse, even though it makes things easier, there's a little bit of a barrier to entry to set it Mm. up. You know, even we use monday.com and it's still a little bit of like, logic programming to get it to work right, even though there's no code at all. It's just putting down words. And as far as code reuse, I don't really use code the first time. <laughs> I just talk about it. <laughs> I will say that I feel like all these like microservices and libraries that we rely on, I feel like that's probably something that's fairly new. I'll say for myself too, when I was first, first learning how to code and I learned about like, oh, you can use other people's APIs and libraries to like build projects, build your applications, whatever. I thought that that was like cheating. I thought like Mm -hmm. I'm stealing someone else's code and I'm not really like doing the logic myself. But now, do Mm -hmm. I feel that way now? Absolutely not. Because especially for like small startups or like solo founder, indie founder, whatever, indie maker is what they call themselves. Thinking about some of the products that people like that build, there's no way that they could build like all that kind of stuff from scratch. I know there's like tons of different projects out there. There's ones where it's like, oh, if you want to travel somewhere, There's one website, I forget the exact name, but it basically tells you like what the weather's like there, what the safety levels are like, all that kind of stuff. And like popular tourist locations or popular cities around the world. And this was built by one person. And I'm sure that if they had to like build everything from scratch, they wouldn't have been able to launch that product as quickly, as efficiently as they have. Right. They they don't have thermometers all over. Yeah. Like they don't have tons of stuff that is needed for that kind of thing. And I I guess we're seeing like that kind of creep into like the big tech world as well, where more now bigger companies are also like, okay, instead of us relying on like building this code out ourselves, let's just use a company or a product that did it already. Which is interesting. I think that it presents different problems, but I do think it helps. It can help to cut down on like development time and even like your error margin and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think it's a little more democratized now because it's it's open source and it's free and it's an API you just hook into. But I think it's been going on forever. You know, you have an operating system and, you know, maybe you'll get a it's one of the the libraries, the file management libraries would be from somewhere else that right. the operating system makers just purchased. I mean, version control, modern version control, and being able to do that online, mm-hmm. you know, remote distributed in, in real time, I think was a pretty huge change, right? It used to be you had to go oh, out yeah. and get 
a disk or, you know, you had to get the software somewhere, bring it home. Maybe you were borrowing somebody's stuff, but there was no way for them to update it to you or for you to pass changes back to them. You know, obviously with like Linux and stuff that began to happen over listservs and bulletin boards and, you know, people could, you know, flow back and forth. But yeah, sort of the the modern NPM install, you know, libraries, APIs and microservices everywhere where you can literally, you know, you're like grabbing building blocks off the shelf as you're yeah. coding something at home. That feels like it's coalesced in the last four or five years into something that you yeah. know, makes starting from scratch pretty pretty easy and pretty amazing. The cool thing about these things is that they're built by other developers and other developers know what our main pain points are. So like we just talked mm-hmm. about security. There's a couple other things that developers, when you're building a project, a lot of developers just don't want to deal with. They want to just build the core logic of whatever they're building and all the other extra stuff like deal with later or deal with never, (laughs) or as little as possible. And because other developers are like aware of what these pain points are, they've created so many cool services that like will take that off of you. I do think that it can present like other problems though. For instance, like if someone changes their API or they change something about their product and you're not aware of that, it could trickle down to like the core, like again, the core logic of your whole application. And like, like for instance, I think people usually like to turn to the whole like online store example because that's easier to understand. But like if you're using an outside service to handle your authentication and all that kind of stuff and they change something and it's a breaking change, that could ruin like Mm -hmm. your whole store. So you you can't even, your users can't even make purchases and things like that. This is from November 4th, 2021, popular COA NPM library hijacked to steal user passwords. So like somebody hijacks, you know, a library that everybody's just using as, you know, plug and play. And all of a sudden, like, and this happens in Stack Overflow too, you're essentially copy pasting Mm -hmm. a security vulnerability, you know, into every new project that uses this. Yeah, I mean, any anytime you use something that somebody else maintains, it's liable to be changed underneath you. I had this, um, (laughs) this Chrome plugin that, basically put tabs to sleep because I'm a monster with tabs. I have a hundred tabs open right now. If I wasn't using them, it would put them to sleep. And I was like, that's great. I'm not using up memory. At one point it got taken over by a different project runner and was starting to insert ads right. secretly into everything. It was mining Bitcoin in the background with your CPU. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, geez. I guess like a lot of these companies, like the bigger companies, like the ones that handle like security and authentication and this and that, whatever. I think they try to make their users aware of like the changes they're making that could potentially be breaking changes. But like, of course, Mm -hmm. especially if you really are just doing the plug and play thing where you're just like, I'm just going to copy and paste this and hope for the best. And you don't really know what's going on. Like you might not really Mm -hmm. understand what those changes are, which could be a problem if they do end up interfering with like how your application. And even if they're doing their best due diligence to let everybody know, like, it's not always going to filter down to everybody. If you just have have something as a dependency yeah. sitting in your repo. Yeah, I mean, the truth is that we rely on the big platforms to look after this for us. Like you would rely on mm-hmm. your operating system, your email provider, your browser to do so much of the work for security. And probably you would start to rely on you know, your IDE or your version control system mm. to give you these kinds of warnings, you know, in the future, you would hope that they're running these kinds of checks in the mm-hmm. background. I know GitHub has actually made a, yeah, has actually announced a, a pretty big focus for the next couple of years on trying to help improve developer security, essentially mm. by mm-hmm. alerting people who are using plug and play technologies, you know, or borrowing from libraries when things might be include a vulnerability. That dependency checking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let me just, uh, yeah, give a shout out to Joseph Clem, 
from Bluemont Communications for sending over that Krebs on Security link. Joseph, thanks for sharing with the show. We appreciate it. We're always uh, interested to hear what people want us to talk about. All righty. It is that time of the show. Thanks today to Oliver Radini, who helped answer the question about how do you clone an array of objects in TypeScript? All right. Thanks for listening to the show, everybody. I am Ben Popper. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at stackoverflow.com. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog and the newsletter here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at rthordonovan. And if you have a great idea for a blog, please email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com. And I'm Sierra Ford. I'm a developer advocate at Apollo GraphQL. And you can find me on Twitter at Sierra, that's C-E-E. O-R-E-O underscore. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye.